you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And while you do that, I'll give a little disclaimer. Maybe that's not the right word. I was at a conference in Baltimore, Maryland in April, and I heard Wayne Grudem speak. Some of you may know who that is. I have been aware of him for probably 20 years or more and have really appreciated what I knew about him. And he spoke at this conference on Proverbs 4.23, and I felt like God was really ministering to my heart at the time, and I went back and plagiarized his message and uh, has spoke it to um, our church in Fayetteville. And I'm going to do the same thing this morning. I've told our church, and I make no apologies whatsoever for plagiarizing anybody at any time if it will advance the gospel in any way. And so... I don't want to take credit for that which I didn't put together, but I have no apologies for sharing what I believe to be the truth from God's Word. And I, you know, I told Mike even there was a little bit of pride as I thought about speaking this morning. I thought about, oh, I'd like to share something that I have, you know, just put together sort of on my own, quote unquote, because everything I know I've probably gained from others. But. Uh, I felt like this is what God wanted me to share with you, and I needed to tell you that it was from Wayne Grudem, so I've said it. It's, it's out of the way, and now let me read to you. I'm reading from um, the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's a Bible that I think it's, uh, I really appreciate, and so uh, from Proverbs 4, verse 23, the ESV version, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Um, NIV says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. New American Standard reads, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. There's nothing that should be more important to us than having our hearts right with God. That ought to be, bottom line, what every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about. And that's what this verse is really speaking to. And so I want to touch on it. Uh, First of all, it should be obvious to any Christian that until you've been born again by the Spirit of God through placing your faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, your heart's in a desperate situation, and it won't do you any good at all to try to keep it and guard it. So we're starting out understanding that this is directed to those whose hearts are for the Lord. And so if your heart is for the Lord, then you need to guard it day by day. You need to keep it, for out of your heart flow the springs of life. The context of this verse is a father giving advice to his son. For example, if you look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, we read, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, this father saying, Son, this is how life works. I want to tell you some things. And then he goes eventually to verse 23, where he says, Guard your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart, for out of it flow the springs of life. I want us to consider three things this morning. First of all, what does it mean to guard your heart? Secondly, why is it important to guard your heart? And thirdly, how do you guard your heart? To guard your heart 
means that you must do whatever you can to make sure that your heart is in tune with God's heart. That's what we're basically talking about. Your heart is really what's inside of you. It's who you are at a core level. Um, It's the summary of your deepest thoughts and convictions. It sums up your spiritual and moral situation. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the heart. And I want to make a very important statement right here, and that is, if you desire to please God, then above all else, you must guard your heart. That Christians have moral failure all the time. We read about the, the well-known Christians, oftentimes in the secular press. We see about their moral failures. Well, why? Well, because they didn't guard their hearts. And you and I, just the average Joe Christians, have moral failures of all kinds as well, and it's for the same reason. It's because we have not guarded our hearts as God intends that we do. Now, before I talk a little bit more about guarding your heart, let's talk about what people do guard. Because everybody guards something. For example... If you own a house, I would bet that before you left this morning, you locked it. Why? Because you wanted to protect it. You did not want someone breaking in while you were gone and doing damage or stealing things that were valuable in your home. Probably even if you rent a home, you locked it. People are real careful oftentimes about their car. Not if you drive the kinds of cars I've often driven, but uh, if, if you have a car that's in halfway decent shape, then you guard it. And I've got a better car right now, so I'm, I'm a little bit more careful. But a lot of people won't even let anyone else drive their car because they're guarding it. They're protecting it. For some reason, we always think we're a better driver and we're going to take better care than anybody else. Then there are people who guard their wallets. Or their purses, you know. If, if you're going anyplace, you keep that by your side. You don't just let it lay it down any old place. Why? Because it's important to you, and you don't want to lose it, or you don't want it uh, to have the contents of it taken away from you. So you guard it. People guard their health. Lots of people are very health conscious, so they are careful about what they eat, they're careful to get sufficient exercise. They're careful to get enough sleep. It's a, it's a good thing to do, to guard your health. Some people are real careful about guarding their lives in many and various ways. For example, I think that there are a number of people who are curious to know what would it be like to jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet without a parachute. But almost no one bothers to find out because they prefer to guard their life. I've kind of been curious to know how I could do navigating down the road for a couple miles with my eyes closed. But I've never actually tested it out to see how it would work because I value my life too much. I guard my life. Another thing that uh, many of us guard is our time. I've got a son who 
he's really a precious guy, and he really loves the Lord. I'm very proud of him. But I see the way he guards his time sometimes. He's not ready to make a commitment a day ahead of time or even a few hours ahead of time because something more attractive might come up. And so he guards his time. Now, he's not totally like that, but I'm just saying I see that tendency in him. I'm careful that way. If there's a ball game, I especially want to see it's marked off, not on my calendar, but right here, very clearly. And if someone asks me to do something at the time that that ball game is coming on, they better have a good reason for asking me to do that. And I'm thankful to the Lord for BCRs. They've, uh, they've helped a lot in recent years. But, uh, and I, I'm not a sports fanatic anymore. I used to be to some degree. But I'm just saying, there are things that we count as precious, and so we guard them. Well, that's fine. But please understand that the one thing that God is most concerned about is your heart. And you need to guard your heart with all vigilance, with all diligence. You need to be careful not to let anything come into your heart or get your heart out of whack that will keep you from knowing and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you guard your heart? Do you even think about that? How much time does that occupy in your thoughts day by day? Or have you become so in tune with God, and I don't mean this facetiously, that it, you don't even have to hardly think about it. You're just, you flow in that most of the time. If so, praise the Lord. But if not, and for most of us, there are just enough distractions in life and enough things that would lead us away from the Lord that we have to uh, consciously make effort to guard our hearts. Otherwise, it won't be long at all before our hearts are off track. Now, Proverbs 4.23 infers that there's something about our hearts that are good. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point in guarding them. And, and to some, you might immediately have a theological objection to that, because Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But I would say to you that that's not speaking about someone who's been born again by the Spirit of God. That is the condition of a man's heart prior to faith in Jesus Christ. But when one comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We see God saying through the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Do you understand? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ... Something changes deep within. You're born again by the Spirit of God. And now you have a heart that's after God. Now you have a heart that's concerned about the things of the Lord. And so we have to guard that good deposit that God has put in us. We read in Romans 5, 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If God has poured his love into our hearts, there's something good there. 
We read in Romans six seventeen, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Hebrews ten twenty two says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So as we can see just from that verse alone, our hearts have experienced a purifying effect if we have come to faith in the Lord. And so now we have to guard them. And when they get defiled, then we have to go to the Lord again, confess our sins, and then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, even as Christians, you understand that there are things in your heart that aren't good, that aren't right. Uh, James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Sometimes we become double-minded. Sometimes we become defiled in our innermost being. And so we need to deal with that stuff. There's a guy named John Flavo. I'm actually not familiar with him, but I heard a quote from him. He was a Puritan writer, and he said this. And I think this is really good. He said that our hearts are like a musical instrument. You get it perfectly in tune, and then you hang it on a wall for a few days, or someone comes along and bumps it, and guess what? It's out of tune again. And that's the way it is with our hearts. We can have our hearts tuned to God, We can be seeking him sincerely and drawing near to him. And we hit a little bump in the road. Somebody cuts us off in traffic. Someone overcharges us for something or lies to us or says something wrong to us and our hearts get bumped and we're not really in tune with God as we should be. So again, the point, why bother to guard your heart? Because there are going to be things in life which continually will cause you to be out of tune with God unless you're continually focused on him and abiding in him. When Wayne Grudem shared this message, he shared a personal uh, illustration that I thought was very good. In the year 2000, He was in Cambridge, England, along with 11 absolutely top-notch Greek scholars. He said they were not only top-notch Greek scholars, they were some of the godliest people he's ever known. He said they were working on the English Standard Version New Testament Bible translation. He said for eight or nine hours a day, they poured over the Greek and discussed with one another what the best word to use in English would be, both in terms of readability and accuracy. Now, when you're working on the Bible and you love God, (laughs) you want to be real careful about what you translate and how you put it in there, because there are going to be thousands, maybe millions of people reading this book for decades to come who are having personal time with God and studying his word and seeking to draw near to him, And so you want to get it right if you're one of the ones responsible for the translation. And so he says it was the most arduous, I don't think that was the word he used, but strenuous, difficult work he's ever done in his life. Eight or nine hours a day just 
being as careful as can be and discussing the Greek and saying, how can we best say say this in English so that people can understand it clearly and so that it's accurate? Said they didn't take breaks for lunch. He said, if you had to go out of the room for a moment to use the bathroom or get a drink, you just missed the vote on a particular word or a particular phrase, and it was in the Bible now without your being able to say So you see, you just didn't even go out of the room usually. It was that intense for a good cause. He said, even as they would finally quit for the evening and have dinner, again they would get into it and they would just go over it at dinner time as well. He said he was exhausted from the work. He said it got to a place, finally, that for three or four days, he just began setting his alarm clock a little bit later in the morning so he could get just a little bit more sleep. But the result was he had to let go of his daily devotional time. Now he said, that wasn't hard to justify at all. He said, after all, I was spending eight or nine hours a day in the Bible. That's what he was doing. And he says, more than that, I was with 11 of the most godly people I've ever known and having fellowship in the Word of God for hours. So, certainly, I'm justified in just letting my quiet time go, right? That's, that's what he thought. He says, well, after three or four days of this, both he... And his wife, Margaret, noticed a distinct change in Wayne. And it wasn't good. And he said, here's what he noticed. And he, he pulled out this list that he kept, and he just read it. Went down the list. He says, pride. Talking about himself a lot. Often inwardly hoping that people would praise him. Lack of love for friends, irritability, relationships with friends stalled or put on hold, general inward feeling of unease, unsettledness, hard to concentrate on scripture and prayer, self-reliance, no peace. That's what he and his wife were seeing in him after just three or four days of neglecting that personal quiet time with God where he would seek to draw near to God and be in his presence and let the Spirit of God wash over him and refresh him and bring correction to hard attitudes that weren't right and motivate him toward praise and worship again. So he says, why do I have to guard my heart? (laughs) Because I desperately need it. If I don't diligently guard my heart day by day, it's not long at all until my heart's out of tune and all manner of stuff that's ugly shows up. I'm paraphrasing now. Those aren't his exact words, but that's what he was communicating. He said, I had to repent. He said, I had to go to the other brothers and say, hey, I don't know about any of you, but this is my experience, and I ask your forgiveness. Now, this is a godly man who's probably close to 60 now, was grow, grew up in a Christian home, committed his life to the Lord at a young age, has been devoted to the Lord for years. He wasn't in what we think of as major sin or hanging out with people that were going to have a horrible influence on him, and yet he wasn't guarding his heart, and it immediately began to produce bad fruit in his life. As most of you are very aware, our hearts can easily easily 
go astray. Just as Wayne's did when he neglected to guard his part, heart with all vigilance. So, why guard your heart? Well, because it easily goes astray. Secondly, from Proverbs 4.23, we see another reason. We are told that from our heart flow the springs of life. What's that mean? It's a picture that's being painted for us concerning the fact that out of your life, let me say it another way, your life is flowing out from your heart. And so if your heart is good, good stuff is flowing out. If your heart is not right with God, bad stuff is flowing out. Again, why do Christians do horrible things? It's because they don't guard their hearts. I had a pastor friend that I had done a marriage seminar with years ago, just opened the scriptures to a group of people and spoke about what God's word had to say on the subject of marriage. Not too long after that, this pastor friend ran off with another woman. How could that possibly happen? He knew the truth. He'd walked in the truth for years. But obviously, he hadn't guarded his heart. And in a moment of weakness or in a season of weakness, he went far from the Lord because he was not guarding his heart. The heart can easily become polluted. It can easily become defiled. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 45. He said, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. He said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. If that stuff's in your heart, it comes out in your life. I think when Jesus spoke that, he probably had in mind Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and he just amplified on it. I don't know if you've really noticed this or not. You probably have. Maybe you haven't thought it through. But sometimes without even speaking or doing anything, the junk that's in your heart oozes out. My wife is fairly intuitive. (laughs) and There have been times when I have not said anything, done anything, and she'll say, Why are you angry with me? (laughs) What's going on? That stuff that's there, that ugliness that's there, is just kind of seeping out. Expressions, attitudes, vibes, I don't know. But uh, she's picking up on it. Now, uh, a word of caution here. There have been times... (laughs) We're not to try to judge another person's heart. And there have been times when she said... After I've said something, or maybe she's observed me, she says, why are you angry at me? And I wasn't angry at her at all. I was angry at somebody else. (laughs) Or it wasn't anger. I was fearful 
or discouraged about something, but it was given off something that wasn't good, and she made a wrong assumption at that point. But the point is, what's in here comes out in one way or another. And I'm pretty good about not saying cross words, ugly words, anything like that. I've been strong on that for a long time. But I'm not so good with the junk that's in my heart in terms of attitudes lots of times. And so even if I say the nice thing and try to say it nicely, because there's ugliness in my heart, it doesn't come out so sweet. Do you understand? What's in your heart does come out in one way or another. And that's why it's important that we not just be careful the words we speak and the way we act out things, but we need to be careful what's in here. And you know what? Even if we fool the whole world, we don't fool God. Man looks at what? The outward appearance. First Samuel 16, 7. But God looks at the heart. And he's always looking at your heart. And he knows it. He knows it well. He knows it better than you do. There are other kinds of things that come out of us that are ugly. Besides anger, when our heart's not right, fear is a big thing for me. I I can get easily intimidated by people and by situations and circumstances in life. And without saying anything about my fear, or verbally, or uh, in my actions demonstrating I'm afraid, nonetheless, that stuff's there, and it gets out there sometimes, and it can produce fear in those around me. So I'm saying it's real important that we guard our hearts all the time. Bitterness is another thing. Whether you're expressing things in a bitter way or not, if there's bitterness in your heart, it shows up, it oozes out, and it defiles others. So we've got to be very careful about those things. Now, there's a positive side to that as well. If your heart is full of love for Jesus, it just oozes out as well. And that's a good thing. And some of you have probably known certain people that just to be around them edifies you, regardless of what you're doing. Having a picnic, watching a movie together, sharing a meal, whatever it might be, because they are so filled with the love of Jesus that the love of Jesus is what flows out of their being, and you are blessed by it. Lord, I have, a, have good friends in Fayetteville that are like that. Just being in their house is a rich blessing. They love Jesus, and they love people, and they serve people because of their love for Jesus, and everybody wants to be in their house. Everybody just likes being around them, and they come away feeling so much better just for having been there. don't have to have any special agenda. Just being with them is a joy. It's an encouragement. It's edifying because their hearts are full of the love of God. Let me ask you another question. How do you respond when someone cuts you off in traffic? Or when someone says a harsh word about you or to you? Or someone criticizes you behind your back? How do you respond to that? The way you respond shows you what's in your heart. Do you remember the situation in uh, the Old Testament 
where the Ark of the Covenant was being transported on a cart, and a man named Uzzah was going along, walking beside the cart, and a cart apparently hit something in the road, and and the Ark of the Covenant began to fall. Do you remember that? And Uzzah reached out his hand to keep the Ark from falling to the ground. And you would think, what's the matter with that? He loved God. He didn't want the Ark desecrated. What was God's attitude? God struck him dead for that. And you might think, why would God do such a thing. Well, here's the deal. God had made it very clear how the ark was to be moved. And they weren't moving it the way they should have. It should have been priests carrying it on poles and instead they just, I guess, took the easy way out and set it in this cart. God had made it very clear. No one was ever to touch that cart. I mean, to touch that ark. Now, I think in Uzzah's heart, he must have simply had an attitude, it's not that big a deal. I mean, the ark is falling, we don't want it to go to the ground. I'll just reach out and I'll keep it from falling. God not only struck him dead, God gave some explanation for it. Second Samuel chapter six, verse seven tells us that God did this because of Uzzah's irreverence. In other words, God was not or sorry, Uzzah was not reverencing God was not taking seriously God's heart about how to deal with the ark. I'm saying it's a serious thing to have our heart out of tune with God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. But that's never an excuse for having a heart that's not right with him. You need to understand this. God is constantly testing your heart. Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. And he is continually testing the hearts of his people. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, you find yourself in the Garden of Eden. Paradise. Sin has not yet entered the world. Adam and Eve are there, and God puts a test before them. He gives them all kinds of fruit to eat. But he says, there is a tree from which I do not want you to eat. In the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Well, Adam and Eve failed the test. The world's been in a mess ever since. You get to Genesis chapter 6, and you find that the result of Adam and Eve's sin is that disobedience has come upon the whole world. There's just corruption that sprung up in man's heart. And in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord says, we read, The Lord saw the wickedness of man, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God brought a catastrophic flood upon the earth, wiped out everyone except Noah. And his family, because their hearts were so corrupt. God is seeking after a people whose heart, whose hearts are after him. 
we find that God was very displeased with King Saul, and he told Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, I'm getting rid of you. I'm going to find a man to be king whose heart is after me. And he was talking about David. And yet even David wasn't entirely pure. We, we see that. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband uh, Uriah put to death. And he cries out in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, because his heart strayed from God. And we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He is looking for men and women, boys and girls, whose hearts are after him. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to have hearts that are after him. And he intends to strongly support those whose hearts are after him. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, Paul writes, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. God tests our hearts. And that's a good reason for making sure that your heart is right before him. Many, many years ago, I was in love with a girl. I was a missionary on the island of Cyprus and uh, returned to America. She was still in Cyprus, but our intention was uh, to get married. And she wrote me a Dear John letter, just out of the blue. And God was testing my heart. And I've gone through lots of tests since then. And here's the issue. Is God trustworthy or not? Is he good or not? Does he have your well-being in mind? Are you more concerned about your desires or more concerned about God's honor and God's glory and God's will being done in your life? God is going to allow things, circumstances, and situations to come into your life that will test your heart over and over and over again. And therefore, it is essential, if you want to please God, it is essential that you guard your heart with all vigilance. I don't know how the test will be for you. It could be your spouse that ends up being the greatest test of your heart. How you relate to her or him, regardless of what she or he is doing to you. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) We'll talk later. (laughs) Uh, But children can be a huge test for you. How they respond will test your heart oftentimes. Job situations, financial situations, health issues. The way a former friend now treats you can be the thing that tests your heart. There are all kinds of things that happen in this life that test our hearts. And the question is, are you going to guard your heart with all vigilance and keep it pure before God, or are you going to let the things of this world dictate the way you respond? to life's problems and life's situations.
Okay, let me go on to the last point. How do we guard our hearts? If you want a heart that's right before God, what can you be doing to guard your heart? What can you be doing to keep your heart in a right place with the Lord? Well, I would say, first of all, it's important that you pay close attention to your heart. Some people just go through life and they don't even think about what's going on inside. That's a mistake. Don't live that way. Be in tune with where your heart is. Your heart needs to be in tune with God, but you need to be in tune with yourself to know, is my heart right or not? Am I experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding, or am I full of anxiety? Am I resenting that person for what he said or did or didn't say or do? Or am I loving him regardless of how he's responding toward me? I need to be in tune with this kind of stuff. Am I full of fear or am I full of faith? Am I full of the joy of the Lord or am I discouraged about the situations of life which aren't going the way that I would like them to be going? We need to be in tune with our hearts. When I say something that I shouldn't, is there a pang of conscience? Does the Spirit of God speak to my heart that he's grieved? Do I sense sort of a withdrawal of God's Spirit? I'm saying we need to be in tune with these kinds of things if we are going to guard our hearts. Uh, A little test that you can use, I just, knowing I was going to say this this morning, I tried this test on myself again last night. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, kindness, faithfulness. I didn't say them all in order, but you can go down that list one by one and say, how am I doing regarding love? You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, am I loving God and loving my fellow man the way I ought to? Am I experiencing God's peace? In spite of the circumstances? Do I know the joy of the Lord? Am I being kind? Am I being faithful? Am I self-controlled? You know, and as I went down that list and looked at them last night, the two that particularly stood out to me in terms of the negative, not that the others were all wonderful, but the two that particularly stood out to me was joy and self-control. Joy. That's, that's something that I don't walk in nearly as much, I believe, as the Lord would have me walk in it. If, if I'm really abiding in Christ, I ought to know his joy. Well, what... Sorry. Okay. Uh, is the Lord trying to tell me it's time to quit? Is this thing on? Is it working? Okay. Can you just stick it back so on? Posterity, we've got it. All right. got to have it here. I'm going to move this. Okay. I'm losing my joy, but don't worry about it. Then. Yeah, peace just went. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay, for joy, you know, what, what's the issue? I think for me, the issue is I'm not being thankful enough. If, I, if I'm not having a lot of joy, it's because I'm really not grateful to God for all the ways that he's blessing and for the fact that he's in control and I'm not trusting him enough about his being in control of those situations that I deem to be negative or threatening. So if I'm not having much joy, I need to look at this and I need to say, God, what's the issue here? Lord, would you search my heart? Would you begin to show me what the issue is? that's keeping me from enjoying you, so that I can write my own heart, correct my own heart, 
on this situation. Uh, in the whole deal of self-control, I mean, there are various things, but for me, one of the things that helps me to be self-controlled, and I don't apologize for crutches, having accountability partners. I, there are two different brothers that I meet with individually each week where we go over accountability lists. You know, have you been with a person of the opposite? Are you completely above reproach in all your financial dealings? Have you told any lies this week? Are you, spend, are you spending sufficient quality time with your wife and your children? Um, there are about 30 different things on this list. I know that every week I'm going to have to look this other brother in the eye, these other two brothers, and they're going to ask me those questions and I have to respond. And just knowing that they're going to ask me those questions helps me to stay self-controlled in a lot of areas. So I'm saying, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Find out how you're doing on a scale of 1 to 10 in those things, and ask God to bring the appropriate heart adjustment so that you're guarding your heart in those areas of your life. Okay, another thing you can do to guard your heart which sort of runs into the first, is don't pollute your heart. There are all kinds of things in this culture that will pollute your heart. So you've got to be very careful about what you watch on TV, about the kind of movies you watch, about the stuff you even read in the newspaper, about the kind of magazines that you look at, about the media that you listen to, about the conversations you have with people at work, on and on and on. Don't take in stuff that's going to pollute your heart. The internet, obviously, is a, another big one for a lot of people. There's so much junk out there. I'm on the internet for quite a while every day, but I've got to guard my heart. I've got to be real careful not to get to the wrong places. And, boy, I mean, sometimes they just pop up, and then I've got to be real quick to just deal with it, not linger on it for even a moment. I've got to get away from it quickly. Another thing that will help you in guarding your heart, and this is an extremely important one, is take advantage of the various means of grace that God has given us. By that I mean he has given us specific things meant to draw us near to him. His word, the scriptures. I think that's probably the most key of all. Spend time daily meditating upon God's word. Let God's word search your heart. Let God's word put his finger on things in your life that are not right. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So as you search the scriptures, read the scriptures, pray over the scriptures, meditate upon the scriptures with a view toward application God's Spirit can speak to your heart about those things where you need to be reproved and where you need to be corrected. And God's Spirit can put you back on the right track or keep you on the right track. As you study Scripture and you begin to see more about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the promises of God and meditate on those things and give thanks to Him for those things and sing His praises for those things, then your heart is strengthened and you're more encouraged and you're more able to keep your heart focused on the things above, not on the things 
of this earth. Commune with the Lord in prayer. And again, you're setting your heart on the things of the Lord. Be obedient to the things that God's word says. Scripture says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. So, obedience to the word of God is a means of further grace in your life. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Listen, when Jesus manifests himself to you, that stirs you to draw near and to keep your heart in a right place. And obedience is part of the process through which God manifests himself more fully to you. It's a means of grace. There are many other means of grace. Fellowship with believers. Now, understand this. Fellowship with believers doesn't mean hanging out after church and talking about the game. I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship doesn't mean going out to eat after church with another uh, Christian family and talking about politics. I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but I'm saying fellowship, as the Bible defines it, has to do with sharing in the things of Christ with one another in order to build one another up in the faith. And I find that lots of Christians don't do much of that. It ought to be easy and natural for us to speak about the things of Christ with one another. We need, if it isn't easy and natural, ask God to change that. Ask God to work a change in your heart so that you can edify one another. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, lest any of you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We all need daily encouragement in Christ from one another. So we need to practice that. And these are means of grace. Meditation. Fasting. Solitude, where we just focus on the Lord. These are all means of grace. We're in a busy world that has all kinds of pressures coming, causing all kinds of pressures to come at us, but we need the Lord and we need the means of grace which he has provided for us. And if you'll use them, if you'll take advantage of these various means of grace, you will be guarding your heart. And if you don't, then you will easily get knocked off balance Spiritually speaking, accountability. I touched on that. I think that's an important way of guarding your heart. If you open your heart and your life to someone on a regular basis, someone who loves God and someone who loves you enough that he's going to speak the truth to you, that will help you to guard your heart. If my friend who ran off with someone who wasn't his wife had had that kind of accountability relationship with someone, most likely that would have never happened because in the early stages it would begin to come out. You know, I'm feeling some temptation here. I'm finding myself drawn to this person. Would you pray for me? Will you ask me about this? Uh, I'm just sensing there might be some mutual attraction here. What do you think I ought to do? If we would open our hearts and our lives to one another, we would avoid many of the pitfalls that Christians regularly fall into. So we must... Guard our hearts. If you keep your heart with all vigilance, from it will spring, will flow, springs of blessing. Continually, you will be a blessing to others. You will bring glory and honor to your Lord and Savior. And you will experience the kind of life that God wants you to experience, where there is joy, where there is peace where you're free of guilt and free of shame, 
where you're not in bondage to various kinds of sins. Don't you want to be able to stand before the Lord someday and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be able to stand before God and have him say that to me. Then it's essential that I guard my heart. And it's essential that you guard your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that your word gives. We ask you to bring conviction where that's needed. Lord, where we are not guarding our hearts as we should, would you deal with us? Would you bring us to repentance? Would you restore to us a heart for you, a desire to follow after you more and more fully? Will you help us to take whatever action we need to take in order to become more fully all that you want us to be for Christ's sake. We do love you. We want to love you more. We acknowledge we have sinned against you much. We have failed you many times, Lord. And we are so thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. But Lord, we never want to use that as an excuse for continuing in our sin. We want to press into you more and more. We want to guard our hearts, and we want to glorify you. Help us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.